Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you. It's, it truly is a privilege to be here. I was scheduled to be with you one other time, but my passport expired and they wouldn't let me come across. I don't know what the deal was. Uh, I'm a nice guy. And by the way, that, that new series that Garth is preaching, I'm just praying he doesn't do it in his underwear and socks. It's just, he's a great guy. Don't you have a great pastor? I'm telling you, you have an awesome pastor. Uh, wonderful wife. Uh, guys, you have a wonderful church here. I've, I've been excited about being here with you. I've heard so many good things about what God is doing here. I've uh, gotten to be, be with Pastor Garth on different occasions. Uh, just a great soul, wonderful fellow. Um, he has talked about ri- literally, literally throughout our convention because of what God is doing here. Because we know this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of what God is going to do through this congregation, through you and through Pastor Garth. God's going to do some great and marvelous things. And uh, it, it's just great to be here and see what God is doing. Can't wait to see what he does next. It is going to be an awesome, wonderful thing. Take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn to Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 through 23. 1 through 23. Now, that's a lot of passage there. Now, some of you say, where are you from? You have a funny-sounding voice. Uh, I am from the South in the States, born and reared in Texas, served uh, in Texas, some in Oklahoma, We've been in the last, for the last 25 years in Florida. We just moved to Michigan in June. This is our first winter. <laughs> we didn't have winter in Florida, just letting you know that. Uh, I, I, it, it's, it's different. So we're praying, uh, uh, well, most of the people in Michigan are praying that it's a very mild winter so that we'll at least stay and they don't have those moving expenses again. Well, Matthew chapter uh, 2 and verse 1 through 23, we're going to be talking about Christmas is for giving. It is for giving. And it's a play on words, and I've used this before, but it, it's really forgiving. It's what we give. It's what God has given. And you're going to be looking at three different kinds of givers here today in the Word of God. But here, beginning here in verse 1, it says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. By the way, that word there is very unique in the original language. It literally means he shook all over. He uh, he was very agitated. uh, There's some other Old Testament words that use that said that his knees smote one with another. I mean, this guy was upset. He was upset. It said, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, you are not the least among uh, the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him back to uh, word to me, that I may come and worship him also. 
And when they heard that the king had, uh, heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had, co- had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take his young child and mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, this particular passage and story we're looking at is about subsequent events pitting the Magi, and we're going to be talking about those people in just a moment, against Herod. Despite the Magi's pagan background, many would think when we talk about the Magi, we're talking about the wise men. And by the way, there weren't three wise men. You know that. There weren't three wise men. There were probably several of them. And they were Magi. They weren't just smart guys and wise guys, they were king makers. If there were a king to be made in Persia, Babylon, anywhere in the Eastern Asia countries, these magi were the people who had to put their hand upon them and appoint them. These were not just guys dressed up in nice suits and in gold and raiment and walking around and, and wanting to find out wonderful things about some new child. These were the very ones who would be the ones who would crown the king in this region. So when they came into town, when these guys came into town, they knew something big was up. And so what we're having here is Herod and the Magi. And they were recognized because, first of all, these Magi were not just pagan worshipers. And we're going to look at that as we get into this passage. I want you to see in this passage some things that are people who give. The first ones are those who freely give. Those who give freely. 
The first one who gave freely, of course, is God himself. He gave his son. For God so loved the world, he gave. Here is the wonderful gift of God in Jesus, our Savior. He gave his son. I remember the day that my firstborn child came. I, so they brought him out of that delivery room and put him in my arms, and I looked into his face, and I saw me. Oh, that was scary in itself. I saw me, but I, I, all of a sudden, I could see the features that were mine. I could see characteristics that were mine. It was, it was an amazing event. And those of you who have children, you understand that. It is something that bonds you. It's something that happens to you that you just cannot explain. But at that very moment, God spoke to my heart and he said, I gave my son for you. Until you're a father, you don't quite understand that. But once I became a father and I saw my son in my hands, I understood for the very first time the depth of the gift of God for me. Now, why would God do that? Because he loves you. And he loves me. Just like we are. Warts and all, he likes us. Ugly, mean, rotten, nasty people that we are. And we are all rotten to the core. And yet he loved us and gave his son for us. What a wonderful gift. God gave his son. We looked in that passage and we read through there, the stars gave their direction. God gave the stars to give this direction. Now listen, we're not told how God uh, in Revelation here did this. We're not sure how this all took took place. And there's been a lot of speculation about what this star was that guided them. Some have said, well, that is the, uh, it, was a pla- it was a planet Jupiter in a particular position, and it was called the king of planets, and so it was Jupiter. Well, it, possibly, we don't know. It could have been Jupiter and Saturn aligned. Yeah, that possibly as well. It could have been a, a lower flying comet that came close to the earth. That's a possibility. But here's what I do know. God supernaturally suspended the laws of nature and somehow or another brought this great light that began to shine and give direction. How did it happen? I don't know. I wasn't there. Do we have particulars about it? No, we really don't. We have a lot of conjecture. But this I do know, God did something wonderful. Now, you want my opinion? I believe it was the very Shekinah glory of God. I believe it was God's light himself. You look throughout the Old Testament, many times when God would show up in a special way, he would have this special manifestation of light in himself. And we call that the Shekinah glory of God. I, that's what I believe happened. I believe that he just somehow, some way, put that Shekinah glory in a special place so that it would shine and give direction to those shepherds and the wise men. So why would he do that? Because God's good. And God wants to give us direction. But t- by the way, today, God wants to give you direction. And he doesn't particularly need to give you a star to do that. He's given you his word. In fact, he's given you some guy from the south down in the states to tell you about it today, to give you direction. I know I'm not as pretty as a star, but I'm telling you, I'm the best you got, okay? <clears throat> it, it doesn't tell us exactly, but it, it get, the star gave direction. God gave us a son, the stars give us direction. And the Magi then, these wonderful men, gave their true worship and homage. When you look at verse 1, let me read that again. He says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod of king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, 
Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Now, you understand he was not a baby in a manger at this time. You understand that. This was some time after. He was already in a home. It tells us in the scripture he was already in a house. And he was older. This was not the picture that we see at Christmas time of the manger and all that. And probably it wasn't a manger like you saw in these pictures. Anyway, it was probably a cave or a, a, rock, a hole in an area where they put animals. And by the way, it was a smelly, stinky place where he was birthed. And it said, And he came to the house where they saw the young child with Mary and his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented Gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, that's where we get the idea that there were three of them because there were three types of gifts named. A lot of conjecture. Did you know they even, and sometimes in places in history, they have even given the names to these men? They, they, they said, well, I thought they did have names. We have no idea who they were. We have, it's not mentioned in scriptures. We don't have names of them. There are, even in a place... There are the relics that are kept that say that they have the bones of one of these magi. You say, how do you know it was the bones of that magi? Well, his head was pointing toward the east when they found him. I, I don't know. We don't know. We, don't, we have no idea. We're reading into those things that are not there. But here's what we do know about these men. And this is what is so fascinating about the wonderful, powerful, sovereign God that we serve. God had his Savior planned before the foundations of the world. I'm, before we were ever here, he loved us and knew that he was going to give his son for us. Now, the, these men, were, they weren't just wise guys. They were king makers. We learned from the book of Daniel that they were the highest ranking officials in all of Babylon. They were the highest ranking ones. Do you remember when Daniel was taken into captivity? You remember when he was on? To whom did he uh, appeal? The Magi. When he gave the interpretation of the dream that the Magi could not, who was Daniel placed over? The Magi. Do you think that Daniel might have shared the word of God with them? We know he did. We know, in fact, that the word of God began to be shared through, through these magi, and they accepted that word. In fact, we believe and know that through history, that even up into the time of Christ, there were many who came out of Babylon who were believers in the true and living God. We believe that, and this is what I believe with all my heart and what we're taught here in Scripture, that they were taught the things of God. They were talk, taught about a coming Messiah. They were taught about the Savior coming, and they were believers in that. These magi were. They weren't just plain old guys out there. They knew the Word of God. They believed the Word of God. They believed the Savior was coming because Daniel had been supernaturally placed there through all of those events. You say, well, why would God... You, have you ever wondered sometime the bad things that happened to you? What if you were a Daniel thrown into prison? What if you were abused like he was abused? And you say, God, this is not fair. Why are you doing this? It could be just so that you can share the word of God with your captors. That's what happened in his life. Now, many other things happened. He used many other things. And the plots against Daniel, he said, well, wait, wait a minute. When they plotted against him, there were some who came together who were going to try to destroy Daniel while he was there and wanted him to kill. 
those were not the Magi. Those were satraps. They were other political leaders and rulers. They were not the Magi who came against him. But because of Daniel's high position and his great respect, he was able to influence their lives and teach them the things of God and prepare them for this wonderful time. Now, these guys, when they came into the city, they didn't just come on camels. Most of the time, if you will read the history of what true magi were, they rode white steeds. They were dressed in full regalia. And they came with an army of at least 1,000 soldiers. They didn't just kind of sneak in on a couple of camels in the back of the desert holding some gifts. These guys were powerful, powerful kingmakers. And so when they came into town, you want to know why Herod was agitated? He had already, he had problems as it was. Herod was a mess. And we'll talk about it in a moment. But he was a mess. And all of a sudden, the kingmakers of the region come in. My job's up, huh? Is that what you're saying? And all of this army comes in. No wonder he was agitated. No wonder he was upset. They came in. What did they bring? You say, well, these are the only gifts they brought? No, they brought, I believe they brought a multitude of gifts, which they always did. But they always brought things that symbolized and meant something. Of course, they brought gold. It was the most precious prize metal and, and, and element of the time. And it was appropriate for a regal gift. It, it portrayed and spoke of royalty. The other gift that they brought... Uh, symbolized something as the deity of Christ because it was frankincense. Frankincense was a fragrant perfume that was, that was, a, was used primarily just for worship of God. It came from a, a, a tree called the Boswellian tree, and it, uh, it was a very rare thing, but they would, they would cut it in such a way and, and extract the sap and dry it, and it was a dried white crystalline-type powder, and they would then burn that. And it was only for worship. Just for worship. So frankincense talked about his, his deity in worship and symbolized that. And then the myrrh. Myrrh was often and mostly used for embalming, and taking care of the dead. It was said about myrrh, it was used to make life more pleasant, pain more bearable, and burial less repulsive. So it came to talk about his Mortality. So even in the gifts, we see the royal priestly kingship of our Savior. We see his deity as they worshiped him as the living God. But we also see his mortality as he was fully man. How could that be? King... God and man in one? Yes, that's the wonder of our Savior, that he was all and is all today. The Magi came to give their homage, but also the prophets came and gave a promise. Verse 5, they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written, by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler. 
who will shepherd my people Israel. He said, well, why is that so important? <laughs> Kings and leaders did not come from little places. Kings and leaders did not come from insignificant families. Kings and leaders came from big palaces, grand cities. They all had royal blood. It, it was impossible for this to happen. Yet God said, that is what I choose. You know what that tells me today? God will choose anybody. And he'll take anyone. You don't have to have the right heritage. You don't have to come from the right place. You don't have to have the right uh, position in life. All you have to do is have the right Savior. He'll take you just like you are. The prophets gave their promise. Amazingly, the angels came and gave their protection. Throughout this whole scenario, the angels were watching over him. In verse 19, it said, When Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take this young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Not only these powerful heavenly beings give instruction, but they gave protection as well. Angels were watching over him from birth all the way through the resurrection. I believe those angels are doing the same thing for us today. Angels watching over you. I don't know about you, but I wear out two or three a week. I do. I just, especially in my younger days, I have no idea how they kept up with me. But I'm so glad that he protects me and he puts guardian angels around. And the angels did that for them. Now, those were people, we talked about things that were generous and giving, but there were some known for giving grief. When you look in, in verse 3, it talks about Herod. This, it said, Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled in all Jerusalem. And when he had gathered the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where Christ would be born. Those known for giving grief, one, were the rulers, like Herod. He was half Jew, half Edomian. He, uh, he was put there and placed in position by the Roman government. He was... He was a vile, wicked individual. <laughs> he had ten wives at different times, killed a couple of them. His sons, when they would, he would think they would be threatening uh, his throne, he would have them killed. In fact, two of them, he had them strangled publicly and uh, put to death. When, when Caesar Augustus would get into an argument with him about some things, he made this famous statement that's recorded in history. It said, I would rather, he said, I would rather be one of Herod's pigs than his sons. You say, what does that mean? Well, in the Greek language, it's a play on words. He said, I would rather be one of Herod's hiss rather than one of his hissos. He said, I'd rather be one of his pigs than one of his sons. In the play on word, because he killed everyone around him. He was so paranoid. He said, why was he paranoid? Well, the man was, he was sick. He had enormously difficult, he had horrible diseases in his body. From, the, from what we understand, he had kidney failure, he had sexually transmitted diseases that had a devastating toll on his life, not only physically, but also mentally. And he was so afraid that someone was going to take his, his, his power and his position that anything that happened, he reacted to. 
I mean, if you will kill your own children because you're worried about power, what do you think he's going to do when the kingmakers come to town? He was upset. And so he didn't just kill his children. He started killing all of the children at a certain age. There are those who give grief. The rulers, the Romans, gave grief. They, the whole country, began to try to destroy the newborn king. The religionists gave grief. Verse 4, it said, when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Some of the most dangerous people in the world are religionists. And those people who have religion but don't have a relationship with God. We see it in our world today. We saw it in California this week. We saw it in France a couple of weeks ago. We will see it again. He said, are you saying there's something wrong with those people? No, I'm just saying there's something wrong with all people who don't have a relationship with God. With God. You see, when religion controls your life, you're in trouble. Because religion is just man's form of trying to get to God. I have good news for you today. This isn't religion that we have, it's a relationship with Christ, it's a real life experience. It is not something we do. It is something we are. It is not something we can do to get ourselves to God. It's something that God did to bring himself to us. That's the difference between religion and a relationship with the Father. And that is what was going on here. These men had religion. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. They looked like they knew God. They acted like they knew God. They even spoke as they were speaking for God, as many do today and say, in the name of God, we kill. In the name of God, we do this. In the name of God, we do that. My friends, much has been done in the name of God that has nothing to do with God. The religionists gave grief. They had the appearance of godliness as it tells us in 2 Timothy 3.5. But they didn't have the power. I would ask you to look into your heart today and ask that question. Do you have just the appearance or do you have the power of God in your life? And then finally, we see those who are known Forgiving their hearts. Believers, they give in submission. Again, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, what? Believes. He says, well, I believe. What do you believe as the word of God says? Believe means to trust in, cling to, rely upon him as your only God and Savior. Well, I believe that I believe he's God. Listen, 
<laughs> you can believe in Santa Claus. I'm not going to go there and spoil anything for some of you. You can believe in it, but that doesn't make it so. So I go to church. Look, I put my car in a garage. That doesn't make me an automobile. You can go into a building. It doesn't make you anything. It's a transformational thing that must take place within your life. When you submit to him. Believers giving submission to him. Believers giving adoration to him. They praise, they worship, they glorify him. Are you doing that? That's what we do is we give worship to him. As, the, as this praise team and worship team did this morning, wonderfully, we adored him. We adore, we give glory to him. We give our possessions. Just earlier in the worship part of our service. By the way, that's his worship. You took those tangible things like finances and money and you gave. So, well, isn't it kind of like paying dues? No. <laughs> it's like giving of your life. By the way, it's his anyway. He owns it all. You're just honoring him by saying, here, I'm telling you by my gifts and by my giving, I know where it all comes from. Because my friend, he is your source and supply. You say, well, I did that myself. Okay, where'd you get that last breath? Where'd you get that last heartbeat? It's the grace of God. Believers give adoration. They, they give their submission. We give our possessions. But most importantly, we can give our proclamation. We can tell others about him. We can give the gift that's been given to us to others as well. I, I don't know what your habit is. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. But this much I know. You'll never be more like Jesus than when you're giving. Ever. Whether it's submission, adoration, possessions, or proclamation. And by that I mean telling others about him. They invited you to take a little card for that cute, by the way, cute sermon series he's going to be doing. And share that with someone else. That's a simple thing. So why, what if I'm embarrassed? My friend, he hung on a cross for you. Can't you give out a card for him? What, what if somebody doesn't like it? It's okay. This is not a popularity contest we're in. Oh, by the way, we win. We win. So to be more like Jesus, may I encourage you, Christmas is for giving. Will you give the proclamation of the gospel this year? Tell someone about him. Wonderful God who ordained and directed and sovereignly 
brought together all that was needed so that the Savior could come and give himself for us. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? Now we have the privilege of giving because Christmas is for giving. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you today for your word. Thank you for the attentiveness of your people. and God, I pray that today, as you have promised, your word would never return void or empty. God, it would accomplish those things that it's called to do. So, Father, I pray today that as your word has been proclaimed, it would find good soil in our hearts and would bring forth great fruit. Lord, may we be the kind of believers that know how to give. And may we give freely and joyously. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.